you slept in. Hey, we're not judging. Sometimes you just need to get a little more sleep. And if you do need to snooze, we'd much rather you did that at home in a warm, comfortable bed than in our pews. You can always catch up with the sermon later right here on the Sunday Morning Sleep In podcast. Now, we can't give you everything that Sunday morning brings with fellowship and cookies and good music and uh, the interaction with friends, but we will give you what we can. I'm Chris Marshall. And I'm Susan Foster. And we are United Methodist Pastors in Reno, Nevada, the biggest little city in the world. We're not theological experts or perfect preachers. We're your average pastors helping our congregations think through life's big questions every week. We started this podcast, so if you're away from home or working or coaching your kids underwater basket weaving team, or maybe just sleeping in, you can keep up with some of the ideas floating around the church. Each episode is a conversational version of a sermon we gave on Sunday. So whatever day it is when you're listening to this, snuggle up or keep running or keep running those errands. And we just ask that you would receive this with an open mind and an open heart. A quick note, we really want you to listen but we don't need you to agree with us. In fact, we want you to use your brain to question, to disagree, and to figure out what you think. Our sincere hope is that you will experience the mysterious loving force in the world we know as God, moving in your life as you consider this. From Philippians, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. Yep. And he's finishing up his letter. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's talking about these two women. Yes. And their names are Syntyche, maybe? We don't know how to pronounce things. Say them with confidence. Say it with confidence. I'm going to say Syntyche and Yoda. (laughs) So friends, Yoda has made an appearance in the Bible. And Yoda's a girl, just so you know. So Paul is saying, I plead with Yoda and Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord Yes, I ask you, my true companion, which actually is translated genuine yoke fellow, which I'll get into in a second, uh, to help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with a bunch of other people. And then he goes into this whole rejoice thing. Don't be anxious. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. And then focus on whatever is true, whatever is noble. Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Um, And if you've seen good things in me, put those into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And then he basically says, peace out. But um, what I like about this letter is that he does end with gratitude, and Susan talked a little bit about Mm -hmm. that in the last episode, and he talks about joy, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. He starts out the letter writing to the bishops and deacons, of the Church of Philippi, mm-hmm. which is interesting because of all the people he names, and there's not many, most of them are women. Mm-hmm. So whenever somebody throws some nonsense at you about women shouldn't be leaders in the church because of the Bible, tell them to read Philippians, where Paul lifts up these two amazing leaders in the church and says, these ladies, they've got it. Yep. But then he also says, so help them agree with one another. <laughs> now, why do you think Paul would have to tell church ladies to agree with one another? <laughs> Well, well, okay. So there's actually some research that says that they probably weren't actually fighting, that Paul wasn't correcting them, that sometimes Paul would end letters with saying things people already knew, Mm -hmm. like, hey, these two people are of the same mind in Christ. So he'll say, be of one mind in In Christ. Christ. And it's a way of saying, 
like ending on a positive note, like, hey, we're doing that already. That's great. So some people think that that might be the case. And other people think it's pretty clear that that's not the case. Like some people think these two ladies must have been bumping up against each other with their expectations about how to live out the good news of Jesus in the world. And so maybe Paul was urging them to just listen to each other. So I don't think that it's coincidental that Paul talks about focusing on the good things Mm -hmm. because I think whenever we're in conflict with people, we're sort of trained to to list off all the bad things, all the things that have pushed your buttons, all the things that just annoy the heck out of you. Yeah. I, I actually, I'm kind of a negative person most of the time. And so it's a thing. And so I, I, tend to categorize folks, not categorize on purpose, but like I tend to catalog folks as like, here are all the things I know about this person. And so when somebody says, hey, do you know Johnny from wherever? Then I'll say yes. And I have to say, (laughs) and here are some good qualities about Johnny because otherwise I will jump straight into, and one time he flaked on me. And when we did that group project in college and like, and all the things, which is a personality flaw. Let me say that it's a personality flaw. I think there's a reason that Paul says focus on the good things. And I think it's because it's what helps us be in community together without tearing each other apart. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And like if you don't, if you never see a good in the person across from you or next to you. Why are you going to work with them? Why are you going to? Yeah. And particularly when it can be kind of hard work. Mm -hmm. He calls them genuine yoke fellows, which I want to put on my business cards now. Chris Marshall, (laughs) genuine Genuine yoke yoke fellow. fellow. Yokes were the things that you put on oxen to help them pull together, and they mm-hmm. can pull a lot more together than they yep. can pull on their own. So to say that somebody is a genuine yoke fellow, it's somebody who does the work. Right. It's somebody who helps you do the work. And who, so, who's in, the, in, it, in it with you. Yeah, in it with you and, and sweating and pulling and bleeding and crying and doing all the things that you're doing. And so Paul is really emphasizing teamwork and that the way that you get there is by appreciating what a what a what a shocking 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 revelation so he's emphasizing teamwork he says you know having thanksgiving is what leads you to joy and having prayer is what leads you to peace so do those things we like i said we don't do those things very naturally and some of that is like caveman stuff yeah like keeping track of when people have double crossed you might be a way of you know surviving yeah the next pterodactyl yeah. attack or whatever but <laughs> Um, oh, Chris, remember the, the, the dinosaurs and people didn't exist at the same time. Well, that's not what the claymation teaches me. <laughs> what I think is helpful for us right now, particularly in a time when we are anxious mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons, um, and maybe some of that anxiety is being built on purpose and maybe some of it is incidental, but is that we need to gauge our emotional reactions to each other and our emotional reactions to situations. Um, If you notice a common theme in my sermons for the last year, it has been, let's all just de-escalate the tension a little bit. Right. Because I don't think we make good decisions when we're anxious. No. And so we have to gauge our emotional reactions. In fact, a couple of years ago, there was a big controversy at my church. We were going through a lot of conflict anyway. And then we were asked by another congregation to do something that I thought was like a slam dunk. Of course, we're going to do this thing. This is great. Cool. And we put it out in an email to the people in the leadership because we thought everybody's just going to say yes and we'll just get it done. Well, we got a ton of pushback mm. and like really violent reactions from people in some cases. And so we decided, okay, we're not going to take action until we've had a conversation that everybody can come to. So we had, we dedicated a meeting, like an entire church council meeting to just talking about the issue. 
And what we asked people was not, what do you think we should do? But how did you feel when you heard about this opportunity? Because as soon as we recognize that we're reacting out of fear or confusion or enthusiasm or some other kind of interest, as soon as we realize that that's how we're reacting, it takes the power away from that emotion. Right. And we can, it de-escalates then we, then a little bit. Then we can bit. move from on, we can move with it instead can, of. Yeah. Instead right. of just resisting. And we can hear each other's hearts. And part of it is, is not being so consumed by your own emotional state that you can't see where somebody else is coming from. Yeah. And so we, we practice that and not everybody could do it. Mm-hmm. Not everybody in the room could do it. And even when we reminded them over and over again, hey, we're not asking what you think we should do. We just want to know how you felt when you yeah. heard this. Still, some people couldn't quite get there because it is uncomfortable to examine ourselves. Well, and it's not usually what people actually ask us for. Yeah, people want our reaction. And actually, if you watch the news, the bigger the reaction, usually the more play you get. Yeah. And so, you know, well, there's it's not a viral a lot, video too. I mean, there's not a prize for being rational all the time. <laughs> really? I don't know why that is. I wanted to encourage my congregation to gauge their emotional reactions to things before they respond. Right. And so we, we did an activity, an, an activity. In church? In church. And the activity <gasps> no. was I invited people to hear some ideas and facts and je- not think about anything except how are you responding emotionally to hearing this news? Okay. So what, did, okay. what, so what were the So the examples? first one was George Washington, mm-hmm. winner of the Revolutionary War, general and first president of the United States of America. Mm-hmm had dentures and <laughs> some people have heard that george washington's dentures were made of wood right and that's like become a mythology in our country right. well that's garbage right because splinters uh yeah it's just not true and so they examined a set of his dentures from the smithsonian institute and what they discovered was george washington's dentures were made of a number of things mm-hmm. they were made of gold mm-hmm. and lead Yep. Which I'm sure had no effect on his cognitive ability. (laughs) Hippopotamus ivory. Where on earth the man got a hippopotamus from? I have no idea. Horse and donkey teeth. Huh. And so I asked the congregation, not whether or not they believed me, but how do you feel when you hear that news? Do you have, do you have, what's your reaction to that? And some people didn't care. And some people went, well, that's quite innovative. And other people went, well, the lead explains a lot, you know. And right. so depending on their knowledge of history, everybody had a different emotional reaction to that news. And I said, okay, that one probably didn't have a huge impact on you. Right. How about it, this It didn't one? just shake the, the foundations of your life. Right. George Washington had another set of dentures that was made from the teeth of slaves. Mm. How do you respond to that? And it was like everybody was making the same face of disgust. <laughs> right. Because obviously, that's not cool. Not cool. That's not cool in any way, shape, or form that George Washington would make dentures from the teeth of slaves. But he probably didn't actually make them. Um, Whoever made them. Right. Although he did fix his own dentures. Okay. Um, In any case, that's a true fact about George Washington. Now, I could paint a picture of George Washington that makes him a hero. Mm -hmm. Or using facts, I could paint a picture of George Washington that makes him a villain. Mm -hmm. Neither one of those pictures are true. Right. That George Washington can be a hero and can also have had a literal petting zoo of horror in his mouth. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) 
as well as horrible yeah. racism. Like right. he, those things are both true mm-hmm. at the same time. And we don't need to impugn him and we don't need to deify him to recognize that there is a fact that is beyond our impression of him. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that we might start with the facts instead right. of with our impressions. But unless we know what our impressions are, the facts are going to bounce off. Right. So I, I shared a number of other facts to see how people responded. Here are some of the other facts. Napoleon Bonaparte was not short. <laughs> he was 5'7", which was taller than most Frenchmen at the time. But mostly what we know about Napoleon Bonaparte is he had a terrible hat, he was very short, and he had a horribly named small man complex, and also don't invade Russia in the winter. Right. Right. Those are the, Those things are the we know four about things. Napoleon yes. Bonaparte. But he was not short. We, that, that's a lie that he was short. He was actually quite tall for a Frenchman. Thomas Crapper. Did yes. not invent the flush toilet. That is not a thing. We've all heard that, but that's not true. Um, he manufactured them, though. He manufactured them, but he did yes. not invent them. Because there are some in the the basement of the Wesley Chapel. That's interesting. <laughs> in London, if anybody wants to see them, the tour guide will show you. The next one is, I heard that houseflies only live for 24 hours. And that is a fat lie, because I've had houseflies that have flown around and driven me crazy and driven the dog crazy actually for way longer than 24 hours but yep. house flies the average house fly lasts 30 days not one so there's that right. fact there's that fact. again not shaking anybody's foundations in a vacuum human bodies do not explode nor do they implode in space human bodies just go into shock and then they continue being in shock and then they continue being in shock but they don't actually explode or implode they might freeze because it's quite cold, but yeah. that's it. That's it. And being in shock will kill you. Yeah, it will still kill you. It's just that, you know. Yeah, it's not so traumatic as the movies would have us believe. Yeah, the movies lie. Jesus Christ mm-hmm. was not born on December 25th. No. I told them Jesus was a Virgo, which is probably also not true. He was probably a Taurus. But Jesus was not born on December 25th. That's not a thing. But um, it's a good date anyway. And that, but then we started, these these were the things that started getting more uncomfortable for people. Right, Not right. Jesus, they, as I've told them that a million times, but the Pledge of Allegiance uh-huh. was written by a socialist, mm-hmm. which was a little uncomfortable for a couple people. And six out of the seven justices that passed Roe v. Wade were Republican appointees, which is not a fact that lines up with our impression of what people think when it comes to political affiliation. We would never assume that somebody appointed by a Republican would pass anything like Roe v. Wade. Right. But it's because we have created a narrative that is not necessarily in line with the facts. So why are some ideas benign and some ideas affect us emotionally? And uh, luckily, people have done a study about this. Of course. USC, University of Southern California, has an institute called the Brain and Creativity Institute. And I kind of want to work there. <laughs> like just for the... the na- just for the, the note on your business card. Chris Marshall, genuine yoke fellow, Brain and Creativity Institute. I think that would be really fun. Anyway, they study this thing called the backfire effect. Okay. And what they studied was they put a bunch of people in MRI machines and they watched their brains mm-hmm. while they told them a bunch of political opinions that may or may not agree with their own. So okay. they would put people in the MRI machines, start it up. And then they would say things like, gay marriage is a sin, or gay marriage should be illegal. And they would watch all of the little blue identifying MRI machines light up. And then they would say, 
gun control law should be stricter because it would change the rate of gun violence. And all the little red identifying MRI machines would light up. And what they discovered was that when you are confronted by a fact or an opinion that does not jive with your preconceived notions, Mm -hmm. your amygdala, part of your brain, Mm -hmm. responds to that intellectual threat the same way it responds to physical threats. Yeah. So you go into fight or flight mode, Mm -hmm. even if it's just an idea. Right. You go into fight or flight mode, which means that you're not thinking when you respond. Mm. They also tried to study if there was a way to fix that. (laughs) I love scientists. I love scientists. And the short answer is no. There is no pill or procedure that will change the way that you react emotionally to the, the political or religious ideas that do not already conform to what you think. Huh. However, we can pay attention to our reactions mm-hmm. and we can decide to feel our feelings and then let them go and open our minds a little bit wider. It just takes a little bit more work. Yeah. So I gave my folks a tool. The tool is from Ian Crone and Suzanne Stabile in their book, The Road Back to You. Okay. Which is a book about Enneagram personality typing and personal development and stuff like that. And the tool that he uses is is an acronym called SNAP. Okay. What SNAP stands for is something that you can do in 30 seconds or half an hour or a three-day retreat. It can take as much or as little time as you give it. And Ian Crone talks about setting an alarm in his phone. Mm -hmm. It goes off every three hours. Okay. So every three hours, he does this snap thing. And here's what it stands for. The S stands for stop. Okay. And what that means is whatever else you're doing, just stop doing it. Just take four or five deep breaths and close your eyes if if it's safe to do that. (laughs) You know, if you're driving, continue to drive with your eyes open. But otherwise, close your eyes, take some deep breaths, and just stop what you're doing. And then there's the N. And the N stands for notice. So what he suggests you do is do a scan of your body, slow scan of your body from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. Are you experiencing pain? Are you experiencing tension in some part of your body? Are you clenching something right now? Like what, what do you notice about how you are reacting to what's going on around you? Whether it's chaotic or whether it's quiet, how are you feeling emotionally in this moment? And how are other people responding emotionally to you? So that's the end. Stop, notice, notice, and the next part is ask. Now we recognize that some of these things are going to be harder for some people than others. Like if I'm in the middle of something, asking me to stop is really tough. Mm-hmm. If my friend Janelle is in the middle of something and you ask her to stop, she can stop. <laughs> She's never going to get started again. <laughs> right? So some this of these things true. are easier. This is true. Some of us are naturally observant. Some of us are not naturally observant. Like with the notice thing, My personality type is I don't often notice that I'm upset until I realize I'm using more physical strength to do something than I absolutely need to. Yeah. So, you know, you might be one of those people who slams a door and then goes, oh, I must be upset about something. (laughs) So practicing noticing might be tough for you. The ask part is asking yourself, what is the belief that you're holding in this moment that is affecting how you feel about what's going on? I'll use the example of a mom who's on her way to pick up her kids from school and she's running late. And she's stressed out and she's freaking out because she's convinced that being late to pick up her kids from school makes her a terrible mom. Mm. So the belief that she holds is that she's a terrible mom. Right. Because she's late to pick up her kids from school and the stress is just building and building. So the first question is, what is the belief I'm holding? I'm a terrible mom. 
Right. The second question is, how does that belief make me feel? Well, it makes me feel anxious and it makes me feel stressed out and it makes me feel judgmental and it makes me feel like I'm not worthy and it makes me feel like a, like just horrible, right? The third question is, is it true? <laughs> if you are five minutes late to pick up your kids from school, are you a terrible mom? Probably not. Probably there are some other questions and some other things that would weigh heavier in that equation than five minutes after school. Right. So is it true? And then the fourth question is, who would I be if I let go of that belief? Hmm. And if that mom let go of that belief that she was a terrible mom, she would probably be less stressed. She would be less aggravated. She would be less insecure. And probably be a better mom. She would probably be more relaxed when her kids get in the car, which, you know, like that's important to be present to them. So, so to stop and notice and then ask yourself, what are the things that you're thinking right now? How do they make you feel? Are they true? And who would you be if you stopped thinking them? So that's all still cognitive processing. Oh, yeah. And then the last one is P. And the P stands for pivot. If you find yourself holding a belief that is not helpful and not true, then can you change the narrative? Right. Can you change what you think? Mm -hmm. So this, this tool, this SNAP tool, helps us become more self-aware and therefore less reactive when this backfire effect stuff comes up on us. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, if somebody says something that doesn't jive with your worldview, it's not a personal threat. Right. It's just like, oh, I'm responding emotionally to that. And I'm going to pay attention to that so that I don't, you know, punch somebody in their throat. <laughs> um, so that snap tool can be really helpful. Yeah, it can. Practicing gratitude for one another mm -hmm. is one of the things that we can do that also makes us less reactive. Right. And it helps us to lift up the positive characteristics that Paul talks about, right? Like in, in the people who annoy you and the people that you bump up against, like these, like Yoda right. and Syntyche, what are the good things about that person? Can you focus on those things about that person instead of focusing on all of the negative reactions that you have because you've been making this list in your head? Can you focus on gratitude and how would that change you? Um, one of the concepts I shared was in Southern Africa, there's this idea of Ubuntu. Mm -hmm. And that was the sermon title. And everybody was like, we don't know how to pronounce it. What is it? And so <laughs> Ubuntu. But Ubuntu is so cool. It's such a cool idea. So Ubuntu is this idea where my wellness is tied up in your wellness. Yeah. I am not truly free until you are truly free. Right. That's how Nelson Mandela would say it. Uh, in Zimbabwe, when I was there, I studied a little bit of Shona, which is the one of the languages of Zimbabwe. Mm -hmm. And we learned how to like, you know, greet each other in Shona and stuff. Right. And there's, it involves clapping, which took a lot of practice, but we had a 24 hour flight. So that was fine. <laughs> but um, the way that you greet people is you say, you say, hello, how are you? And the way you respond is something like, I'm okay if you're okay. Mm -hmm. So it's not just I'm okay. It's I'm okay if, if, you're, if you're okay. okay. And so in some of these South African villages, if somebody performs a crime or makes some kind of mistake that causes harm, Rather than, you know, get out the whips and chains, they put the person in the middle of the village square and for two days, everybody surrounds them and reminds them of all the good things they have ever done mm. or said, all the good impact they've ever made, all the good characteristics that they have. And it reminds them of who they truly are, yeah, of their true identity. So instead of beating people up for the mistakes that they make, they lift up, this is who you are, and we want you to remember that because it, if you live into what is good, what is noble, what is right, what is pure, what is admirable or excellent or praiseworthy, if you live into those parts of who you are, yeah. then 
we're not going to have problems, you know? And so they, they lift each other up. They encourage and they offer positive reinforcement. The quote on the front of the bulletin this week is nine tenths of education is encouragement Mm -hmm. from Anatole France. Like you can't learn anything unless you have a positive relationship. Right. And so to encourage one another in those things that are good, instead of beating each other up for those things that are wrong, helps us work together even when we don't agree with each other. Yep. Uh, Even when your political opinions set off every backfire effect in my brain, Mm -hmm. we can still be together because we see beyond just our disagreements to who we truly are. In dog training, it's called positive reinforcement. Yes. And it means that rather than belittle your dog for making noise during recording a podcast, for example, which she just did. She's groaning at me from the other room. Um, she said, yeah, she, she definitely has commentary on dog training. Yeah, she sighs during a lot of my sermons. Anyway, instead of beating your dog up for doing some things that are bad, instead of yelling at them, which actually doesn't teach them anything except to be afraid of you, you remain calm and assertive and you reinforce good behavior with rewards. So you say, okay. I like it, dog, when you are quiet while I'm recording the podcast. And if you're quiet, I will give you a cookie. But it doesn't mean if the dog makes noise that you yell at them. Like, that's just not how that works. And that's the best way to train a dog because they want to make you happy. And it works for people. And I think people, for the most part, they want to be liked. They want to be part of community. Uh They they want to be happy and they want to make other people happy. And so it helps when we encourage each other instead of just, you know, biting at each other. And then Paul ends this with the, you know, the peace that passes all understanding will be with you and the God of peace will be with you. And the peace that Paul talks about, Paul is Jewish, right? The peace that Paul talks about is Shalom, which is not an individual adventure. The peace that Paul talks about is the peace that connects us to one another with joy and with justice. Right. And so it's, it's a community kingdom of God idea that the God of peace, the God that connects us is with us when we are encouraging, when we focus on the good in one another. Yeah. You know, that's sometimes hard for us to remember because we want to be reactive. And when we're anxious, it's even harder to pay attention. But hopefully we can pay attention because we work better together when we like each other. Ah, so true. And we get to be carriers of good news to each other. We don't have to come in and say, here's all the things you did wrong this week. We can come in and say, man, Susan, here are all the things I really love about you. And that that will actually build a positive relationship, even if we're in the middle of conflict. Yeah. So that's a good thing, too. Anyway, so that was the sermon. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Morning Sleep-In Podcast. If you have questions for us or stories that relate to the topics we've been discussing today, shoot us an email at sundaymorningsleepin at gmail.com or find us at sundaymorningsleepin.com, our website, or on all those platforms where you can find your podcasts. The scripture for this podcast was Philippians four, one through nine. Um, and the theme music you're hearing is Take Me Higher by Jazzer. It's traditional at the end of a worship service for a priest to deliver a blessing. I usually give you homework because I think you've already been blessed. And uh, <laughs> this week I'll give you some encouragement. And the encouragement is this. Um, you were not a mistake. Nope. God made you on purpose and God made you good. And so there are lots of wonderful things about you. So whatever you might be beating yourself up for in your head right now, whatever you might be beating somebody else up for in your head right now, remember that at our heart, we're all doing the best we can. So be gentle with one another. And as you choose how to live into your own skin this week, I hope that you will listen and love and serve and seek justice. Because maybe you slept in, but now it's time to wake up and get moving. Amen.